All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you as usual. Uh, I'm in the borough of Queens, New York City. It is the 15th day of March, 2022. I do like to remind you I write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. We like to tout Chen Lin's uh, work as well. Chenpicks.com is where you go to buy what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. And Michael Oliver, who's with us today, it's olivermsa.com for his excellent momentum and structural analysis newsletter. And we do want to thank all of you for sending, uh, for listening to the show, and we encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show positive, negative, or whatever, send them along to questions for Taylor at, G- questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do uh, need and want to thank our sponsors, making this show economically viable, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Hand and Metals, Firefox Gold, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining are this week's sponsors. I've titled today's show, Turning Problems into Profits with Kevin Duffy. Kevin Duffy, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver are this week's guests. During the 2008-2009 financial crisis, Kevin Duffy's Bearing Asset Management Fund registered triple-digit gains while most everyone else saw their 401k accounts turn into 201k accounts. By exercising healthy skepticism and mainstream propaganda, uh, that is, skepticism of mainstream propaganda and studying history, Kevin has demonstrated how by recognizing past patterns of human and institutional behavior and by sticking to the merits of long-term value, you may be able to avoid large-scale losses suffered by investors during these difficult times. Now, given the increasing, increasingly tumultuous markets during the first quarter of this year and um, seemingly continuing on the way it looks, uh, we want to see what Kevin has to say and how he is turning hard times into good times. He certainly has done well from what we can see uh, so far this year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Kevin's second half of today's show. Dr. Henning will be with me right after our first commercial break to talk about El Oro's Isca Isca proje- uh, project that's in Bolivia, turning into a very large-scale bulk mineable silver tin deposit, um, really one that, well, Quentin suggests it may be the largest tin a discovery uh, in a generation, uh, and there is a, a substantial shortage of tin, from my understanding, on the world's market now, so it could come. Uh, this is coming at a very good time, I would suggest. Uh, so we'll hear from, from Dr. Henning uh, right after a first commercial break, but right now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us again, and thank you so much for joining us again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. 
It's always good to have you. Um, you know, I noticed something that Lance Roberts, he recently pointed out, that when the Fed tightens into a rising commodity market and slowing economy, and when stock, that, that generally, when those conditions are met, and when, you know, the economy is slowing, you got rising commodity prices, and you tighten, that you can expect a decline in the equity markets of between 30 and 50%. Do you, do you see that as a possibility in the cards, or not in the cards, based on your work, on your um, momentum and structural work? Well, oh, absolutely. Uh, we've been pounding the table. The uh, action, well, first off, the, the stock market basically, S&P, NASDAQ, made their highs in December. Um, and they, then they suffered a significant, more significant drop in NASDAQ 100. That's a leadership sector with uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple, and so forth, heavily weighted symbols. And the S&P also turned down by our metrics using annual momentum, which is to say long-term trend measurement. Uh, NASDAQ broke in January. The February action broke S&P. We're now major negative long-term on both indices, on ma- meaning the market, the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also analyze Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft because they are the three leading stocks in terms of weighting uh, within those indices, uh, a huge double percent weighting within both indices. So they, they have helped cause the upside in those indices and now the downside. Uh, and they have broken annual momentum as well. So we are major bearish. That doesn't mean you can't have sharp rallies, uh, but don't blame the situation on what you see in the papers. Mm-hmm. We've had a dozen-year bull market in the stock market, bigger yeah. than any in the history of the United States, powered by monetary policy. Interest rates are effectively at zero for since 2009. It had a little hump up to 2.5% federal funds rate and then back down near zero. And maybe they'll raise it a quarter point tomorrow, probably will. Uh, but basically, you've had rates off the page on the downside, and you've had money flow incredibly. Normally, you double the money supply, M2, every decade, roughly, since 1959, in fact. It's been a constant. However, in the last two years, it's gone up well over 40% in just two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're now in accelerated monetary growth. If the Fed wants to try to put its foot on the brake for psychological reasons, uh, and because a lot of economists are saying you should do it, uh, they're going to help precipitate a global recession, which is already going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. And once those metrics start to show up in their silly indicators, like you know some unemployment number or retail sales drop or something uh, that they didn't expect, then they'll be able to claim, oh, gosh, we have to be cautious here in terms <laughs> of future rate rises. And I wouldn't be surprised the word caution is somewhere in the notes tomorrow mm-hmm. when they raise rates a quarter of a point that they have to be cautious about future uh-huh. rate rises. Yeah. You know, uh, Anyway... High commodity prices are here to stay. Oh, you're going to have sharp sell-offs. Like, well, yeah. hit 130, and next thing you know, you're in the mid-90s, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that was excessive for the time being. But you're not taking oil back down to 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep it at a new high level now. Same is true with wheat, corn, soybeans, sugar, copper, etc. They've come up out of the hole in terms of annual momentum in late 2020. Gold had already had its doubling prior to that. But then the commodities woke up late 2020. So a year and a quarter ago, we put out a report saying expect a commodity explosion. We use the word explosion, which is kind of table pounding. But it turned out that's what we have. But we're at levels in certain markets that you can expect to see sharp sell-off. So it's not a place to be saying, gee, I'm going to get long oil freshly. 
Okay. <laughs> those those points passed, you know, a good while ago. There are some markets that look like there's a lot more to come, and in particular, gold and silver. Mm-hmm. And if we're correct on the high commodity prices basically staying at high levels, forget the fact that there's short-term sell-offs here and there, but basically at a, at a new range, let's call it, globally, uh, and probably even higher because we've got crop problems coming up this next year, mm-hmm. we know, with fertilizer problems and therefore yields on crops and so forth. But that's going to cause recessionary impact globally. Um, China ain't looking too good right now. Europe's not looking too good right now. And we can, a lot of people in the U.S. think, well, I think Kramer the other day said something on CNBC about, well, the, our economy's in good shape. Well, he's looking yeah, yeah. at certain metrics that are lagged. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yesterday's metrics. Uh, when this wave effect hits the commodity price level uh, in general, which, by the way, started well before Russia ever, ever got around Ukraine. So right. don't blame it on that. You know, this yeah. upturn in commodities came a year and a quarter ago. Um, we're going to go into a recession. And uh, then the, the central banks are going to be in panic mode because what do they do? Mm-hmm. They can't really lower rates. They're effectively at zero. If they try to raise rates, they're going to cause their bubble to break even more. So it's going to be an interesting predicament to watch the central banks go into a swirly. <laughs> and all I can say is enjoy it. Be on the right side of the markets. Mm-hmm. And I think the right side right now, the best place to be is in the gold and silver area. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sit back and uh, be cautious. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned uh, before we went on the air that um, the uh, gold shares are doing quite well, but a lot of people are in a tizzy because we've seen a, down, a couple of down days here. And, yeah, we've had a and sharp drop here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked at a GDX chart. Forget momentum. Momentum is positive. It's been positive for several weeks back uh, in silver, which had been a laggard to gold and broke out about four weeks ago. GDX, same thing. But look at a GDX weekly price chart, and you'll see it made a low back in the last week of January, I think it was. It was down around 28 and a half, okay? Since then, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six weeks of weekly bars that are higher highs each week, higher lows, six weeks in a row, and you've gained 40%. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with that market finally taking out a prior week's low? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, it's time for a take a breath, okay? Yeah. And right now you're back above that prior week's low, which was 36.5 last week. You're trading over 37 right now. So these kind of pullbacks you're going to get, expect them, but they're now occurring at higher levels than the 1700s in gold or the 1800s in gold, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it, it's going to be a violent trend. But I think gold is now at the forefront of the, what you might call the alternative place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know I've asked you, uh, just with about a minute left here, I know I've asked you, maybe the last time you were on about uranium, there does seem to be some sense that uranium is, is uh, starting a real bull market now. And I did, I did uh, hear that most of the, uh, you know, the excessive amount of uranium has now been taken off the market such that the... Uh, the power companies have to go out now and start to um, start to go long. Have to have to have to mm-hmm. engage in long-term contracts, and that's something new. Uh, it looks like it could be, you know, from a fundamental point of view, looks like it could be very bullish for uranium. But um, what are your charts telling you? Well, we got very bullish in, in uh, 2018 uh, at levels that are you know, way, way, way below here, uh, and we, the. 
and we have not changed our view, and that's based on annual momentum again, a very long term uh-huh. metric. Right. And we went into congestion zone in, in uranium for the last oh, six months, where you went up, down, up, down, up, down, but at a high level uh-huh. in relation to prior years. We've broken out of that and exploded now up into the 60s. Mm-hmm. And that congestion zone was uh, either side of 50, 48, mm-hmm. 50, 40, mid 40s uh-huh. to 50. Uh-huh. So it's exploded up out of here and resumed its trend. So don't just look at oil which to yeah. some extent has led the energy sector to the upside and gotten, you know, probably somewhat excessive for a while. But look at things like uranium and look at natural gas. Mm-hmm. Natural gas has had a nice up move from in the $1 range going up to uh, 6 and, a half and now congesting either side of 5 But it's still not very high priced historically. And we still think that uh, natural gas has a, has a very sharp uh, another leg to occur at minimum. It may take it up even to double-digit price levels. Um, so don't just look at oil. It's not the only energy source. You're right. Uranium is critical, and it's starting to explode again. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so. Okay. Okay, Michael, thank you very much and um, for, your, for your help again. It's always great to have you with us. Um, we'll look to do it again, hopefully, in a couple of weeks okay. from now. All thank the best. You, all right, folks, well, uh, we do have to go to break. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about El Oro. Oh, they are on to a really exciting large-scale large project that uh, I think you're going to want to know more about for sure. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott. SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really glad to have Quentin Henning with me once again. Today, uh, he's going to be with us, or he is with us, to talk about ISCA. ISCA project. Uh, it's a silver tin project that El Oro uh, owns and is uh, was advancing it very, very rapidly. It seems to be doing extremely well. It's one of the more exciting stories in my newsletter, I would say. Quentin is a technical advisor to El Oro. And, of course, he is also uh, the, mainstay, the mainstay technical advisor at Crestcat Capital, where his weekly commentary on Crestcat Gets Active uh, YouTube series is uh, highly recommended for investors uh, in the mineral exploration space. In fact, it's one of those must-see videos that I make sure I find out, I, I watch. And you can watch it live, actually. Uh, a lot of times I don't have the time to do it, but you can catch up with it later. It's just a... Very, very valuable service and one of the companies that uh, Quentin covers and is very much involved with is El Oro. Uh, before I say hello to Quentin, uh, I should tell you that it trades uh, in Canada under the symbol ELO. You can buy it in the United States under the symbol ELRRF. There's 63.7 million shares outstanding. I believe that's a correct number. Uh, today's uh, around um, 11 o'clock this morning, at least, when I checked it, it was at $3.79 in U.S. money, giving a market cap of, a market cap of around $240 million U.S. dollars or so. Quentin, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, always a pleasure, Jay. It's good to have you and uh, talking to us from Colorado, I presume. And, um, you know, I've, I've been following El Oro. Uh, I think you mentioned the name to me back around November of 2020, and I'm sure glad I did because it's really blossoming out into a what looks like a very major discovery of a silver tin polymetallic discovery. Um, the company, you know, it's that Iska Iska project. Uh, it's got these breccia pipes that are hosting the mineralization around the uh, perimeter of this large caldera in Bolivia. And most of the focus thus far has been on the Santa Barbara pipe, but the scale of mineralization there just seems to be growing both to the north and now they're poking some holes to the south uh, down into some of the other, I guess, at least one of the other uh, breccia pipes. Um, but can you give us an update on this on this story, Quentin? Because it really is, I think, one of the better stories out there. It is. There's no denying this is a world-class discovery. Look, uh, this is the only time I've been associated with a drill program where, you know, after a year and a half, they have yet to find the limits of mineralization. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, they've been they they kind of had this view early, say a year ago, that let's drill off a part of this and take it to a resource. You know, and they focused on the Santa Barbara area, which is one of the the breccia pipes that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, thinking you know this would be a, a reasonable task, and and then they started drilling and and drilling more and hitting more and drilling more and hitting more, and it just. It went on and on, and, and you know, most recently, they've announced uh, extension now, a major extension of the Santa Barbara target area, this system, to the south. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this hole that came back a few days ago, this is early March, is is absolutely jaw-dropping. You know, it hit a 300, uh, 350, or sorry, 350. 70, let me make I sure I'm quoting right. Yeah, 373 meters. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a, like a quarter of a mile. You know, like how often do you drill something like that? And, it, and the grade was 172-gram uh, silver equivalent. Now, you know, the drill hole does have a, a significant amount of silver, but 
you know, guess what? Tin is a major component of this drill hole. So this is, you know, by far the value is in the tin in this area. So this is an exciting development. Uh, it, it still has the lead zinc as well. So there's, you know, the typical base metal assemblage that you would expect with silver. But this tin component is is really uh, setting Iska Iska apart from any other modern discoveries in, in this region in Bolivia. You know, so uh, to put it in context, you know, other mines like, say, San Cristobal, is, they're a, a traditional silver lead zinc mine in all, mm-hmm. respect, you know, all respect. Whereas this thing has this tin kicker, and the tin is just mind-boggling. You know, inside of that, <clears throat> I think the thing that I found most intriguing <clears throat> was that inside of that, there are some higher-grade intervals. Uh, for instance, there's a 28.5 meter interval of 401 gram silver equivalent, which does include 0.61% tin. Wow. I mean, just think about it. That's, that's a lot of, you know, tin's $45,000 a ton right now. So that's wow. a lot of dollar value in, in tin alone. And then uh, additionally, there was a another interval inside that was 95 meters of 261 gram silver equivalent, and that included 0.43% tin. And then further down the hole, look, this hole, uh, it was drilled kind of westward from the underground adit there uh, that they've been drilling from, and it, it tested the, you know, more or less the full width of the Santa Barbara target area. And down towards the bottom of the hole, they hit another 60-meter interval of 0.28% tin. You know, so there's clearly... Uh, a driver of the system, like the the magmatic driver, the tin porphyry that produces this system, is you know interpreted to be lurking down in that region. Yeah, as I understand it, that hole that you referred to might have uh, hit a, a target area. Uh, the um, I think uh, I think it's down on the edge of the Porco Breccia pipe. Do I have that right? Did that did that is yeah, that the, the Porco hole? Breccia pipe? It it is actually further south. Uh, if you look at Porco, it's about, I don't know. It's about another kilometer, believe it or not, to yeah. the south. Okay, but okay. There's, there's this very distinct geophysical expression, right? That the company is seeing, which uh, in profile looks like a giant tongue that's emerging out of the Porco area and extends all the way up. It's kind of sub horizontal. It looks like a dragon's tongue, and it it uh, it extends sub horizontally up underneath the Santa Barbara area. And that's why I think this thing's going to continue to grow. I think at this point, the company realizes that trying to drill this thing off uh, is is going to take a little bit longer, you know, maybe another six months or so. So they've, they've forestalled the, you know, the goal of setting a, getting into a resource stage uh, a little ways, which in my view is a good move because, I mean, this thing, the, the way it's growing and the dollar value of this rock they're hitting, like why would you why would you stop drilling here? You know this this doesn't make any sense. So <clears throat> I would say look for a lot of uh, of news to come. I think the the biggest takeaway from that news release, Jay, mm-hmm. is that this drill hole uh, clips the that dragon's tongue that I mentioned. It basically right, right. drills through an area that's uh, anomalously magnetic. Now mm-hmm. what uh, Bill and Oswaldo have determined is. The mineralization, this tin mineralization, uh, occurs with a mineral called pyrotite, and it's a, it's an iron sulfide. It's like kind of like pyrite, but it's magnetic. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is one of those rare cases where you can actually see 
a geophysical expression that is likely directly related, you know, can serve as a proxy, we'll call it, for mm -hmm. uh, mineralization. All right, now, mm -hmm. if people look at the news release from, let's see, it was March 1st that this was put out. Right. There is a figure that's attached to that that shows this big red blob that extends uh, southward from the Santa Barbara area. And that this hole, this uh, hole number, let's see, it's MET, it's, what do they call it, M, uh, I don't know what the name, name of the hole was, can't remember it. Yeah, I don't have it I don't have the name right in front of me. But uh, yeah. it basically clipped the end of this, this tongue. Here it is, DSBU03. Okay, it clipped the end of this tongue, and the thing is wide open. I mean, you, you know, you want to talk about a billion-ton-plus target. It's clearly there. This is incredible. It's a very sizable uh, magnetic anomaly, I believe. Is And they they just clipped the... The, the top of that thing, I guess, and it looks very large based on the pictures that they sent along with the news release. Uh, so, the, the, as I understand it, Quentin, these uh, tin usually is formed or settles out at lower levels, at deeper levels. Is that right? Yeah, tin usually sticks closer to the mothership, meaning the, the mm -hmm. in, causative intrusive. Okay, so the mm -hmm. magma itself that generated all the metal. Right, mm -hmm. and and the tin usually uh, stays closer to them. And that's not to say that it's it's like right there and then it shuts off. That's not how it works. I I would say over the next few hundred meters, you know, five hundred meters, a kilometer, something like that, this system should persist. And you know, if anything, we should see more and more tin. Uh, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, this thing's <laughs> every time we drill, it's have more surprises. It might. I think we might start to see copper and, and gold and stuff emerge too, but you know that's all to be to be seen here. It's it's really exciting. Yeah. So you think the maiden resource will be delayed? I know I met with Dr. Bill Pearson up in Vancouver, and he seemed to be hinting at maybe a, a, a sort of a two a two prong uh, resource. Maybe one from more of the northern area that's more silver zinc lead type, and then one to the south that has more tin component and. Uh, but anyway, it's going to come later, I guess, the resource is what you're suggesting, than we might have expected yeah, earlier. No, mm -hmm. That's right. There's no point in announcing a resource right now when you're in the middle of hitting you know, some of the best mineralization you've hit today. I mean, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. you know, let's, yeah. let's drill this thing off for a few months and see where it goes. Yeah. Can you give us a sense? I think you said 45000 a ton uh, for tin. Is that substantially higher than normal? Because I don't follow the tin markets that, that much. I don't really, I'm not familiar with yeah, look, the tin markets. Uh, tin's an interesting metal. You know, it it's, was mainly sourced from Southeast Asia and China for many years, in fact, decades. Uh, but those sources are, are gradually running out. Plus, China is, is consuming their tin production. They don't necessarily export tin like they used to. So tin uh, has become scarcer and scarcer, especially in the, the Western world. And because of that, the price has gone up here lately. Okay, so if you let wind back the clock, there was a there was a tin shortage in the mid 1980s. There was a brief spike, but for the most part, tin was trading in the you know low dollars, maybe three, four, five dollars a a pound, which in terms of uh, you know metric ton is you know maybe you know seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a metric ton, something like that. Uh, yeah. Okay, it's only been in the in the past you know couple of years here that we've seen tin really take off. There was a brief uptick, I think, in the late 2000s and then, you know, in early uh, teens here. But uh, this most recent uptick 
is is genuine. It's real. There's a tin shortage. There have been no significant primary tin deposits discovered in recent time. So, you know, Iska Iska is absolutely hitting this right. I mean, this is probably uh, one of, if not the biggest tin discovery, hard rock tin discoveries in history. So if, you know, in a market that's craving tin right now, you know, what, what better uh, present to deliver here is uh, a high-grade tin porphyry. Yeah, what's not to like? And uh, All right, so how many drills are operating there? And, and I guess they're going to just be drilling the bejeebas out of this thing, huh? You're going to be just yeah, drilling like got, crazy. Yeah, got three, but the fourth one coming, uh, you know, so they'll have four drills operating here shortly. And, yes, they are drilling like mad right now. If you look at the, the news release, every time they publish a news release, you can actually keep track of where the drilling is because uh, Bill and team label the drills mm-hmm. that are in progress and so forth. And you'll see that they have a whole bunch of drill holes uh, set up down there in the south end of the Santa Barbara area. Of uh-huh. different, you know, off of different drill pads, and they're gonna they're gonna tackle this and clear down to the Porco area. I think by you know, say six months from now, we'll have much clearer picture of exactly how big this thing is. I think it's going to be enormous. It's absolutely huge. Yeah, I think you said uh, the most significant uh, tin discovery in a generation, and I asked Bill Pearson whether he thought Quentin was getting carried away, and he said no, by no means. And now you're talking about. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a very exciting story. So can they can drill year round there? Uh, yes, they can. I mean, there is a winter season, uh, you know, quote unquote, yeah. uh, in which it, it kind of gets cold and blowy, uh, which is coming. But uh, right now they're they're doing uh, a great job drilling. Uh, you know, I would say last year, other than an occasional windstorm, the company was able to operate pretty continuously uh, for the past eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And they're well-financed, I believe. They've got money in the bank. And I think they put out uh, and made an announcement of some sort of shelf prospectus or shelf financing that would allow them some flexibility uh, upwards to, I think, if I'm not wrong, upwards to $100 million or something like that. Uh, I believe that's correct. I haven't read through the shelf prospectus. Uh, Uh The company has a pretty good treasury right now. But mm-hmm. they are churning through a million and a half or so a month, I believe, uh, currently with this drill program. So they need to hit it hard. You know, this is one of those deposits where, you know, the price of the company, fortunately, is very high. And it absolutely justifies uh, drilling intensively, you know, to create value. So I, yeah. I have very little issue with, with uh, the, way, the way that Tom and team have approached things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've kept the share structure very nice and tight with 63.7 million shares, which is really sort of reminds me of Great Bear, another company that I followed, and they did such a remarkable job of keeping the dilution down. And and the other way this reminds me of that is that these guys are, you know, they're drilling, drilling, drilling. They're not quick to make an announcement because at Great Bear, they kept finding it, the Dixie Project, they kept finding more and more. Uh, same thing is happening here. So better not to, uh, if, you know, if you keep finding more, you might not better set people's sights too low, I guess. So this is quite a story, Quentin. I want to thank you for bringing it to my attention some time ago. And um, and folks can uh, hear more about this and other companies that Quentin's involved with uh, at Crestcat, many of which I follow here as well. Uh, and uh, Crestcat gets active every Friday, I think at about, what, 2 o'clock Eastern time or something like that, Quentin, you guys do that? Uh, it's 2 o'clock Eastern time. Usually a little after because we're running – Running yeah. late, either Tavi, Kevin, or myself are getting slides yeah. together. But yeah, yeah, uh, and it's live, and 
it's live. People can watch it live, and and then of course uh, later on. Quentin, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today and bring us and up, updating us on this very exciting story. Certainly, Jay. Anytime. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Kevin Duffy will be with me to talk about his coffee can portfolio. Really interesting way. Kevin is a pretty strong gold bull. He understands the markets very well, but he's found ways to make money, all kinds of different ways to make money besides just in gold and silver. Uh, I think it's a good you know, diversification if you can do it wisely in a crazy market like we're in, and I think Kevin is doing a remarkable job. So he'll be with us right after the break. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Kevin Duffy with us once again. And uh, Kevin was with us a few, I don't know, several weeks ago. And uh, really very interesting to have him because he has found a way to make money not only in gold and silver, but in a diverse portfolio. He certainly is a understands the need for uh, for honest money and honest, monetary assets and commodities and other things in the portfolio. But he's found a way... Uh, to uh, to, to um, diversify his portfolio and his coffee can portfolio is very very diverse. So I'm really pleased to have him with us again. To maybe he can give us some hints about how to uh, about how to shape our own portfolios. Thanks for joining me again, Kevin. Jay, thanks for having me back on. You know, before we go any further, I forgot to make a note here. Uh, the website, uh, I guess they can do they can Google you, but where can they go to sign up for your letter? Sure. They can go to thecoffeecanportfolio.com or just okay. Google the, the coffee can portfolio. It should show up. Uh, sure. Very good. All right. Well, you know, these are crazy times, no doubt about it. What, what sort of, you know, how do you see the markets now? I mean, we had the COVID and now the war, it seemed to, you know, it's causing a lot of trouble with, with supply chains. I'm worried a lot about uh, food costs and so forth as a result of what's going on. But uh, what is, just give us a quick summary of your views of, of the global markets right now. 
Sure. Well, um, yeah, I think we have to go back to uh, pre-COVID. We had uh, certainly a 10-year bull run. Um, S&P 500 went up nearly five times. Then we get hit by COVID. Um, we get a massive stimulus response. Um, and so the initial sell-off, uh, about a third correction in the S&P, um, brings the, uh, the market to new highs. We get this just a crazy bubble or a series of bubbles, including the Kathy Woods uh, funds and the meme stocks and, uh, you know, you name it. Um, yeah. And it was basically uh, lock everybody down, give them a bunch of stimulus money and uh, shut down the other competing casinos in terms of sports uh, and uh, funnel it all into the stock market casino. So that um, that really peaked in about January uh, February of last year. And that was the, the the time when all the headlines were positive, the economists were all giddy, uh, the economy was going to have the fastest growth out of the, uh, the the brief recession since the early 1950s. Um, the, the vaccines were on the way, uh, economy was reopening, everything was, was wonderful. Um, and, you know, we have now uh, the narrative has shifted, and it's uh, a lot darker. Uh, we now have uh, uh, a, a war in uh, Ukraine. Um, we have um, the stimulus drug wearing off. The vaccines didn't go according to plan. Um, we have this cold war uh, with with China. Um, so we're in this, uh, of course, as you mentioned, we have the supply chain issues, inflation, uh, fastest um, rise in inflation, we're up at 7.9%, at least in terms of the measured inflation, fastest since um, uh, in 40 years. So we've really come full circle. And um, I think, you know, bottom line, Number one, the economy is we're going into a recession. Um, I don't think there's there's any way around that. The odds of that are extremely high, and it may be take the uh, the stagflationary form. Um, and then uh, on the other hand, um, we've seen a massive correction in the in the very stocks that were screaming um, a year ago are have been absolutely pummeled. And so it's probably time to start looking for some bargains there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, um, I don't know, I looked at the S&P this morning, I think it was down around 11% year over uh, from January. Uh, but I think, as you mentioned, that's, that's, that metric is pretty deceiving because it's just a few of the big guys that are holding up the, uh, the average. And you have a lot of, a lot of companies that, are, that have gotten whacked pretty hard. And so I guess as a value investor, that's what, the kind of thing you've got your eyes on, right? Yeah, so let, I can uh, put some numbers on this. Again, I think the the inflection point was really January, uh, probably late January of last year. That was the the peak in the uh, the Arc um, funds and uh, also the meme stocks. Now we, um, as those corrected, it's similar to the dot com bubble bursting in two thousand, where you had the uh, the rest of the market rally during the summer. So we had this uh, divergence. But anyway, if we look at that inflection point of, of January of last year, since then, the S&P 500 is actually up 14%, even though it's corrected about 11 or 12% um, from the high. But um, S&P up 14%, NASDAQ 100 actually up 3%. Um, the ARK Innovation Fund that I mentioned, uh, Kathy Wood, down 61%. Wow. And um, then you look at something um, that's not quite as aggressive, 
the uh, Barron Global Advantage Fund down about 38 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at now what's done well, of course, has been commodities. Energy is up 83 mm-hmm. percent and the CRB index is up 66 percent. Um, and value value stocks have outperformed growth by about 14 percent. So there is there is a lot going on there. Um, there's a lot of carnage, and there have been some some huge winners and some huge losers. Right, and so I, I would like to um, well certainly want to get into uh, the way you the way you pick your stocks and the way your your portfolio, and you have you have several uh, major themes. That you uh, that you put in your newsletter, that I think are really interesting. First off, um, the first I think where you're heavy, most heavily weighted, uh, the inflation is not dead theme, and um, you say precious metals will benefit and global bond bubble will burst. Uh, you've got, if I understand this, 16.2 percent of your portfolio in that focused in that in that with that concept, right? Right. So. Um yeah, as far as the in- inflation theme, um, let's see. I can I can pull this up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have okay. So the sixteen point two percent J is uh, mm-hmm. is actually um, precious metals. So we we own right, a, right, a right, physical right, precious right, metals right. funds. Now right, right. we also have um, we own gold stocks. Um, we own a uh, we actually own Sprott Inc., which is a um, an asset manager, which is heavily into the resource uh, and precious metals area. Um, we own royalty companies, so that's in another 20% or so. Um, but, yeah, that's a significant part of the portfolio. And that has not moved anywhere near as much as the, the other commodities. So, um, But we do also have some exposure to uh, fertilizer and, and energy but you know those are the areas that have really run right now, and so our tendency is to to just kind of stand pat um, and maybe even trim a little bit in in that area, not much, because I think you've got two things going on: you know, supply and demand, um, and high prices. The cure for high prices is high prices, so we are we are getting demand destruction, and um, I think we're going into a recession, so that's going to be a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the supply side, you're, you're just not able to bring new supply to that air, area. So I think the long-term investment thesis holds, but I think um, you have to be able to kind of look through this, this global recession, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the energy stocks correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. I mean, they've gone up, you know, oil just shot up, and it's down to around, you know, from, uh, what, 120 or so to 90 in just a, a few trading sessions. So your so your inflation is not dead theme. You've got between the uh, between the metal itself, um, you got CEF. That's uh, the Central Fund of Canada. That's I think a Sprott fund now. But that's 16.2 percent, mm-hmm. as I say. That's gold and silver. I think it's a mix of the two, right? It's a 60/40 mix, right? 60/40 in favor of gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then AEM, Agneagle Eagle, I guess ASA, FNV, and yes, uh, so I so I see. Yeah, okay, well that makes sense. And so basically, thirty-seven percent of your portfolio in the, in that sector. So that's by far and away. And then you said uh, the next theme is uh, the imminent death of fossil fuels. Well, not quite. Uh, and how are you playing that? You've got several things right, here. So we- 
Um, we we own, like I, I mentioned, fertilizer and also uh, natural gas uh, um, energy, um, uh, EMP companies. Um, I've, I've got a uh, an oil services company in there, and actually uh, bought the uh, the falling knife in uh, in Russia. We uh, we bought a little bit of the uh, Russia ETF, which uh, hasn't worked out so well so far, but. Uh, you know, here's crossing our fingers, so we have a, a, a small stake in that. What is that ETF? Uh, RSX. RSX, okay. Yeah, the okay. Van Eck. Well, we'll see how that happens, uh, how that works out. Nine, nine point, a little over a 9% in that sector. Right. And then you've got um, Amazon.com is not going to pull, to put all retailers out of business. In other words, um, there will be some competition for Amazon eventually, and um so how are you playing that? I mean, you're you're buying various retailers. I guess you think have a shot at at, uh, at doing well, in spite of Amazon. Right now, this is an area that um, what I really like to latch on to is uh, simple narratives and and start to and when they get repeated over and over again, uh, and and look below the surface. Uh, and so that really led, and, and also to take a very much a, a contrarian approach. So, um, you know, everybody knows that Amazon is going to put all the retailers out of business. They know the malls are dead and, and all the rest of it. And the, you know, the real story in my mind is that, um, is that these companies have really adapted. Um, they have, Amazon has, has picked a lot of the low-hanging fruit. Um, they uh -huh. bankrupted a number of companies like, like Borders. Um, but... There are a lot of retailers that have survived that, and they've adapted with the omni-channel model. So they're basically e-commerce companies. These are these are really technology companies or companies that have ad adopted technology, but they're sort of cast into this discard pile of these, uh, you know, really beaten down stocks. And um, it is remarkable, Jay. Uh, I mean, I don't need to go through the whole list of these these companies, but. Mm -hmm. Um, what I'm doing is just building a basket. I've got, um, you know, nine or 10 of these right now. And um, the other beauty of this is that the retailers can touch some of the other themes. So, for example, if you want to get long agriculture, you might own tractor supply. Mm -hmm. Or um, another area that we get into a little bit further down the list is the emergence of uh, emerging markets and the, the middle class consumer, especially in China. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a lot of negative news in China, and um, right now, and, and a stock that that we like and have owned for a long time is Skechers USA. Mm -hmm. Now, Skechers is um, is based in in Southern California, but they do and they have a you know kind of a stodgy business. They're in the, the casual footwear business. They're the third largest casual foot, footwear company. Uh -huh. um, and uh, But they do half of their business overseas, and uh, most of that is in Asia, and they have a, a pretty good exposure to China. So, you know, the stock trades at 10 times earnings, and I think it's a you know, it's got a great balance sheet, but these are the kinds of, of opportunities that you see within retail. And like I said, they can they can check boxes of some of these other themes that we might want exposure to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, value investing is not dead. Gamco is, a, I guess, is a company you've got. Uh, so passive investing is not going 
to put all active managers out of business. But so where do you what do you see the the trend here? Um, right, there has been you know one of the things that I like to look at from a, a contrary standpoint is um, fund flows mm-hmm. and the flows out of active funds and into passive funds over the last 10 years has been staggering. It's been, uh-huh. it's been a, a swing of, I think, over $3 trillion. It's just a, a staggering number. And, you know, I think one way to look at that as an investor, it's kind of like you have these two ponds, right? And you've got um, the one pond has, you know, everybody realizes oh, there's a bunch of fish in that pond. And so everybody, and the and the other pond is kind of fished out. So the, mm-hmm. so the fishermen all gravitate to the, to the other pond mm-hmm. and, um, and it gets overfished. And the, uh, meanwhile, the pond that gets abandoned, the fish are multiplying and there's nobody there. And I think that really describes what's going on with passive investing. So mm-hmm. we can, we can look at this from a valuation standpoint. You might look at, let's say, BlackRock. BlackRock yeah. trades at about six times revenue. Um, Bet Franklin Resources, which would be a, your classic value manager, trades at about um, two times revenue. Uh-huh. And then T. Rowe Price, which would be an active manager, but it's more of your, your classic growth manager, it trades at about four times revenue. So I think that gives you a sense. And, you know, the asset management business is really a, a terrific business. Um, you know, you can also look at this. I mentioned Skechers. Skechers is a great illustration. If you, um, if you compare Skechers to Nike, okay, um, both global footwear brands, Nike, of course, is bigger than, uh, significantly bigger than Skechers, but they both have these, um, uh, you know, big global footprints, and uh, but if you look at the metrics in terms of the go- growth metrics and the balance sheet and all the rest of it, I mean, Skechers is uh, a, a better company than Nike. It's got better prospects, and yet um, the difference. And I haven't looked at the the PE of of Nike, but it's got to be it's over 20 times versus 10 times for Skechers. So I think that illustrates this um, this huge disparity between. Um, passive and active investing and it really shows that for an active investor this is really it's like being a mosquito in a nudist colony right now you know, it's really a, a target rich environment yeah so you like Gamco I think uh, yeah this is uh, Mario Gabelli's um, yeah. firm mm-hmm. I mean we that he owns uh, I think 78 80 percent of the of the stock um, I like I tend to like uh, stocks with founder um, that, that are founder run, that have mm-hmm. uh, people who have a lot of skin in the game. They can take the long view. I'm, I'm definitely a long-term investor, so I want I want people running them that are really taking the long view, and that's a good way to get um, our interests aligned with uh, with the people running them. Now, I noticed this just because there's so many other themes that we won't have time to talk about, but bloated governments is a, a theme number 12 in your letter. And I believe I saw that maybe uh, the one stock that you had there, an ETF TBF, which is a short on the 20-plus year treasuries, U.S. treasuries, right? I think you might have sold that now. We did. Um, and that, that was really a tough choice because um, – and this is the problem when you have all of these different ideas – you know, you can only put 100% into the portfolio. So yeah. um, if you make room for something, and like I said, I, I'm getting my, my ducks lined up in some of these uh, growth 
areas, some of these, um, you know, more optimistic themes. I mean, we've talked about some of the more pessimistic themes. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm trying to get, um, you know, I'm trying to get my ducks lined up for that. And I just had to make some room in the portfolio. So I thought as much as it pained me to to sell that, because I really do think that uh, interest rates are going to be going up longer term. But Mm -hmm. I'm trying to envision a, a scenario right now where, um, we have a lot of, we still have a lot of complacency, I think. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, individual retail investor who was really at the gambling table last year. I think they're, they're hanging on. Margin debt is, is still quite high. Um, and so I could see where there's a, a, a forced liquidation, and I just felt like I needed to raise some cash. And there could even be a uh, a safe haven bid in an environment like that, and you might actually see uh, people, investors, scramble towards um, towards treasuries. But mm-hmm. longer term, I'm definitely I'm bearish on on governments. I'm bearish on on their debts, uh, and and uh, so yeah. you know it's probably an idea we will revisit in the future. Well, sure, but if we're going to have an equity market, I mean, I I think we could see quite a quite a lot of downside on the equity markets yet. Uh, then there could be a lot of money, I would think, going over into the uh, in, into the funds and, and into the treasuries, and that would make sense for me that you're selling this for for the time being. You could always get back into it. Uh, with just a couple of minutes left here, and one another uh, another area where you've done extremely well, uh, the theme is the middle class will will be squeezed in the United States, and in China the middle class will expand, but in the states, in the more developed countries. You're seeing a squeeze, and Dollar Tree has done extremely well for me, for you, from what I can see. Yes, um, and you know, so there's really um, a, a couple of areas, but that that is a unfortunately a theme, and I think this is a, is also a byproduct of ESG, the mm-hmm. underinvestment in commodities. We're seeing gasoline prices go up, and so it just seems like all these interventions that the government pulls off, they always hit the lower. Uh, mm-hmm. runs to the ladder and they climb up to the, the middle class. So we just see, see that as a long-term theme and um, the dollar stores, um, Dollar General, Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree has run quite a bit, but I think Dollar General has actually gotten pulled down with a lot of the other growth stocks. So um, that might be something to look at that's that hasn't done quite as well. All right, we'll have to leave a go at that, Kevin. I want to thank you so much. There's so many other themes we could talk about. Migration trends away from high tax, high crime cities. That was another theme. The economy will become more information-based and location-independent. Yeah, so there's just a lot of other things we don't have time for. So we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and thoughts with us, Kevin. And uh, I want to tell our listeners it's coffeecanportfolio.com to sign up for Kevin's letter, very reasonably priced letter. And I think a lot of very valuable information uh, to help you diversify and navigate some very troubled waters. Thank you so much, Kevin, for being with us. Thanks, Jay. Have, Have a good day. I will do so. And uh, that is it for this week, folks. Next week, Bob Moriarty will join me. He's a 321 Gold guy and Patrick Highsmith of Firefox Gold. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.